This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. today on TPQ20. Uh, we always like to start things off by saying we know who you are, but our audience might be new to you. Uh, so if you were to give the bio that is not on the back of your book or on the Yes Yes page, who would you say you are? Yeah, and of course, I first of all, thank you so much for having me here today <laughs> and having me in this conversation. And uh, I, I did spend a couple hours today going through your other podcasts because I'm like, Man. Wait, do I even know what Chris is going to ask me? Wait, what's <laughs> happening? And so I love that you asked this question. And of course, like all of us, I've got probably, you know, 973 possible answers. Uh, I think that in addition to uh, being a writer and an editor and a publisher, I mean, those are certainly my main, my main gigs. Um, but uh, I am currently a um, voracious consumer of horror and ghost story on any platform, podcast, book, um, video. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just having a big time with that. And then one of my favorite things to do for fun uh, is board games. I play board games, mostly with my family. Three of my adult children live in the, in, in Portland and, and, um, with partners and then a couple grandchildren. And so uh, I do, I love board games. And, um, and then I also, I love to cook. I, I don't cook daily the way I did for, for, you know, a couple decades raising my five children, but um, I, so it's kind of more fun now. Uh, and so like yesterday we had a big meal and I really enjoyed that. And my current challenge is to, to treat vegan cuisine as if it can be delectable because it can be, <laughs> it can be, uh, but it could, a couple my, one of my sons and, and his partner is a vegan and he's got a brilliant sense of taste. He's a wonderful cook, but when he switched to vegan, he started, you know, like sharing food and we'd go out and I'm like, honey, this is not good though. This is not good. So the challenge is, and it's a, it's totally of course achievable because they're brilliant vegan cooks out there oh, and, and cookbooks, but there's, but there is a lot of giving up when it comes to vegan food, I think like, <laughs> you know, and so, so anyway, so that's one of the fun things for me is to, is to try recipes and mess around with recipes, vegan recipes specifically, and, and get something tasting really delectable. So those are, those are things that aren't writing editing publishing that i, I do love i i cannot for the life of me get my family i'm i'm not a vegan that is for sure but i cannot i love tofu 
And I can't mm. for the life of me get my family to eat any tofu at all. Doesn't matter how it it just doesn't it doesn't happen for them. It doesn't matter how it's cooked. Mm. Just they know that it's tofu and it's not gonna work for them. Although <laughs> my my kid for for years, uh they're they're eleven now, but for years they kept trying to say they were a vegetarian except for uh, McDonald's and bacon. <laughs> so, you know, I mean. <laughs> Doesn't that describe most of us? Vegetarian right? except yeah. for McDonald's I, and bacon? I'm sure. absolutely vegetarian <laughs> except for a really good steak every once in a while. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, my right. gosh. That's funny. So um, let's start with uh, let's start with your love of horror right now. Where is that coming from? Are you, uh, were you a horror, like a horror movie buff growing up or a horror lit buff growing up? Horror movie, I think. And well, and so I'm 59. So if you think of what was happening in horror in the 70s and 80s, uh, it was like yeah. the heyday, some yeah. really spectacular horror slash storytelling, right? So right. not just horror to horrify you, but, um, and so I think I, I, I grew up with, with that, but then recently, um, I, I don't know. I mean, possibly it's the time we're living in that might be <laughs> pushing me towards, towards horror. Um, and, uh, and then also it's the genre I'm starting to write in. So, uh, okay. so I'm wanting to really just kind of put all of this stuff in the, in the dumpster up there and, and really think about what's happening and what I like and don't like what engages me and, and what I find not engaging. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm having a big time. Oh, that's fun. So does that mean now, uh, you know, does that mean that Yes, Yes might also take a turn and start publishing, you know, the next great horror novel? Oh, uh, that's such a <laughs> lovely question. I, I think I, I think that I need to be reading and writing something that Yes, Yes isn't doing. So, that's, you know, I mean, I read so much poetry, which I love so much hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts yeah. a year and um and that's just the stuff for yes yes and in addition of course i read poetry um and other types of fiction as well um just for myself um or other other anyway i didn't use the right words there but <laughs> i know i know you can follow me and um and so what I find is it's actually a little bit hard for me to, to read poetry for pleasure. I still do it because I'm following folks and I'm excited about what's coming out. Right. Um, but I think my brain needs a little bit of a rest actually from, um, from, from that. And because I do also, I don't read poetry for entertainment. I, oh, I mean, I, I love poetry so much and I find it really essential to my heart and my brain and to life. And, um, but I also just want to read and listen to things that, uh, and they can still be literary, but, yeah. but that they fill me in a different way. I like that. No, I like that delineation because it is important to, to have kind of that. I, I don't hear a lot of people say, you know, I don't read poetry for entertainment, but that's such a good way to put it because a lot of people, you're reading poetry to kind of get, you want something out of it almost in return. It feels like it's kind of, it really is like some type of an exchange. You're reading this because you want to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. so that, that makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Um, do you find that, you know, in the past when you have sat down to work through, a, you know, through a poetry manuscript, 
is it is it tricky for you to how far away from yes yes and and the reading of manuscripts there do you have to get in order to find yourself in a place where you can write where where i can write mm -hmm. poetry do you mean yeah. um I, i've written very little poetry in the last few years i, I was think that say, that's... Been, what, 2015 was the last is when's the last uh, two my second book came out in 2019. Okay, 19. Um, yeah, and um, so, yeah, no, I, I have... I love poetry. I actually have the name of my next poetry manuscript, but I don't have a single completed poem for that manuscript, which is certainly doing things ass backwards. Um, and uh, so I know that the, I know what I want to write on, but I think that right now, I, I as as most of us have experienced, I think our juice is a little low, right? Yeah. So whereas before I could do um, editorial work. Uh, and still have juice, that kind of creative juice for my own poetry. I, I don't have it now. I don't have it now. So I need, I really need to go to an entirely different genre, which is working different muscles and right. um, to, for, for my own writing. I'll, I believe I will come back to it, but yeah. Now, are you someone who, uh, what type of horror, I guess I, this was is curious, what type of horror world do you live in? Are you like really campy horror or are you very serious, uh, you know, very structured storytelling plot line or is it like just good campy, you know, Rob Zombie versus 1970s, you know, type stories, type, uh, type storylines and kind of just flash? Well, I would say my favorite, uh, and I am sure you undoubtedly know more about horror than I do. I mean, I'm always, <laughs> I'm constantly being in places I have no business, right? So, the, so you know, I, I have loved, um, like the, I was turned on to some horror podcasts this last couple of years, which I absolutely love. Um, uh, Old Gods of Appalachia was kind of gateway drug for me. Right. And then uh, the Magnus Archives is incredibly brilliant brilliant storytelling um and in old gods of appalachia the language is is very beautiful very i believe actually the creator of that is himself a poet and his name is not coming to me right this minute but um but uh so just listening to uh it's the yarn. I, it's two things, Chris. It's the yarn in a good ghost story, in a good, in, 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 that's the kind of horror that appeals to me. I'm not so interested in, in just, whoa, that was wildly bloody. <laughs> and God, I, you know, now I'm really uncomfortable and afraid. Uh, and I don't mind being afraid, uh, but I want story and I want character and then i'm so satisfied like if a horror movie or book um a ghost story of course that's not exactly the same as horror offers offers a story where you really feel for the characters you follow them you are concerned about them and and also i do love to be surprised by endings and things and um so that's what i'm looking for it's it. the, it's the story yeah, but also the character. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite, like horror story or ghost story? Uh, in book, in book form, is that? Yeah. Um, um, 
Well, I mean, they're different things that they're really, they're not actually horror, are they? But they kind of are. I mean, like Notes from Underground, Underground by Dostoevsky. I would call that a horror novella, yeah. even though that's not really what it is, <laughs> but it is what it is, you know? Um, uh, God, the Grand Inquisitor inside Brothers Karamazov, which I actually think that the ad that DeSantos just came out with for uh, on the eighth day is essentially we're looking at the <laughs> we're living the Grand Inquisitor in that moment. So, oh like that's horror. I, so uh, I love Shirley Jackson, um, The Haunting of Hill House, and I also loved the most recent uh, TV permutation of that. I thought that the homage, the the conversation between that the series and the original story was very interesting so it's not at all of course if you've seen it you know it's not at all a, re, a, a telling of right. Shirley Jackson's story but there's a lot of chatter back and forth between the writing the original writing and and what shows up on the on the screen um I don't yeah, so there's a lot, I guess it probably isn't strictly speaking horror, but um, I just recently read, I just finished a book called Gallows Hill by Darcy Coates. So one of the things is I'm just chowing through the genre, like what's being, what are the popular ghost story horror writers? Right. And I'm just having a big time. A lot of that is by audiobook, And so... I, I loved that story because the the lead is intrepid and you you understand why she goes into the room that doesn't have the light on. Like in a lot of stories, you're like, what are you doing? Right. Why are you going into that room, you idiot? Haven't you seen these movies before? <laughs> right. And so and so this this book was set her up so we understand who she is as a character and why she needs to know and why she'll go into the climb up into the attic with its blood stain on the you know on the floor right. that pokes into the bedroom and um so I really loved that because I think a lot of kind of genre horror like more traditional horror uh, there's not a lot of effort put into character or voice and so when it shows up in the context of a horror story a ghost story god it's such a pleasure it's it it's really wonderful that, that psychological thriller aspect of it i mean kind of what you were describing there is kind of like you know the yellow wallpaper oh you know, my god yeah. right yeah, so that's to me, horror to me there are very few stories that come close to that as far as horror and suspense yeah. and just the the psychology of of those moments because you get so wrapped in that and that you become those characters yeah that really yeah. is that really Absolutely. is what you i mean I think that's what kept, uh, I mean, as a kid, you know, I started reading like Stephen King books in about fourth, fifth grade was when I think Salem's Lot was the first book that I really got into of his. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, there's a, there's a character building there, even though, even though there's a formula to like a Stephen King book, there's mm -hmm. still, there's still a character and a background development. I think that as a, as a kid, especially that I was really interested in and that I appreciated yeah. about those types of books. Absolutely. Um, so in, in taking a little bit of a turn here, you also mentioned board games. And I have to ask, uh, what type of board games do you enjoy at the at the Sullivan household? 
so too many because uh, what happens is we cycle through them and then by the time we get back to a board game we've forgotten how to play uh you know and so then uh luckily one of my sons uh, has dubbed himself the rule book reader and he'll spend <laughs> hours it. reading the rule book you've got to have one of those people in the That's right awesome. in the mix oh yes and so I love that. Um, the I've got a prior to the pandemic, my my favorite probably. I mean, it's just like anything. You can't actually pick a favorite book. You can't right. Really, right. But so one of my favorites was Pandemic Legacy, the 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 consumable version of 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 Pandemic, and that's the first time I ever even knew that that kind of board game existed, where the board would change in a permanent way as you played the game and yeah and so the rules change the the goals change it's very very interesting and so that the first it's called a season um of pandemic so pandemic season one um yeah it took us a year it took us a year to play it and and so i mean and each month of the year is like you resolve and then and then, so it's not like you have to remember everything. The, the, the board will do a kind of resolution at the end of what's a month. And um, I love that, but for obvious reasons, we have not gotten back to pandemic legacy. Right. We're just, first we gotta survive the actual pandemic. Um, <laughs> and I love Terra Mystica. I love Concordia Venus, um, Lisboa. Um, I have played Twilight Imperium a few times, so I could, I could, I could get that Girl Scout badge should it exist. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's like that. I think the, that you have to play continuously. And I think the couple, maybe we played three times in this particular family unit, um, because, uh, uh, my children will also play, you know, board games with other folks. Right. You know 16 hours 18 hours and so you play that it's like a holiday weekend so i don't know what's yeah. coming up this week or that you know some of the kids will decide what we're going to plunge into um i love it i, I just i i love playing so we're not we, like we're not a very competitive group per se right. we are but we i th- one of the reasons i love board games is because you're essentially competing against yourself like a well a well-managed board game means that you're the one who's going to decide how well you do in the game and how well you play the choices you make I mean there's a little chance involved but um yeah so those are the games that I love to play well it'll be a fun it'll definitely be a fun upcoming uh, few days for you guys yeah I think so so uh (laughs) when you start Yes, yes, books in 2011, or when it becomes, I guess, was it, it was officially founded in 2011, or was it earlier mm-hmm. than that? No, no, that's it. That's it. So, yeah. uh, what were you, what were you thinking? When you oh, my God. <laughs> I could ask myself that, that you know, then. Well, um, you know, I, I came to poetry very late, uh, and I really had hardly read any poetry, and I, I went into a, a MFA program as a fiction candidate, um, and uh, then took my first ever poetry workshop, so I was in my late 40s, okay. and um, 
uh, and I took my first poetry workshop and uh, wrote a poem about caring for my mother as she was dying for, for, from brain cancer called Song for My Mother. And after I wrote that poem, I was like, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah, this is what I'm going to be doing now. You know, like writing poetry is what right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be. So I was really overwhelmed with a huge love of poetry and, and not just love of writing, but really love of reading. And so I was just reading and reading and I just loved it. Um, and up until that time, I, I had fashioned myself a teacher. Like I was the third grader who would set up little school days with my younger siblings and, you know, take home extra workbooks. And, and, and I just, I've loved being a teacher and I was at earlier times in my life, uh, taught at different levels, including, uh, the, uh, college, college level, or what was it? Cause I studied philosophy for many years. Wait a minute. So no, I, all right. I taught the, at the high school level. Um, I taught philosophy at a private school for a number of years. And then I had been hired to be a lecturer in at Virginia tech for something related to like Greek culture and thought. And then for some reason I, I pulled out of that. So no, that's right. My other college teaching was in the context of my MFA. Um, and so, but I realized about second year into, it was a three-year program. I realized that whatever age I was at that time, 48, 49, there's no way I could teach in the university system for any length of time. There was just too much like overhead time of committees and, and weird politicking. And I loved being in the classroom. Um, but there was no way that I was gonna pursue that. So then I had to figure out if I could even get a job, right? There aren't even any jobs in that. But, um, and then I had to figure out, so what do I do with uh, this love of poetry now? And so the first thing uh, is that I founded a, a lit mag while I was still in the program, vinyl poetry. And then, um, and then the next year, my last year, I, I founded, the, the press. And um, yeah, I had really, really no idea what it was going <laughs> to turn into. I just, I was, I just loved poetry and loved reading and loved talking to people who were writing. And, um, and then it just kind of, you know, bloomed. So. Well, and for you, I mean, there have definitely been some writers that you've worked with who have gone on to, to become fairly, you know, heavy hitters in the world of, in the world of writing, but who have been your favorites? Um, who are those, who are those, you know, there's no way I can answer that question. Oh, I need on. to, I need to answer a different question. Okay, so let, me, let me go about it this way. <laughs> who, who do you think out of, out of the poets that, that kind of came through maybe in those, those earliest years, who are kind of those, those up and comers who maybe, um, you just knew there was just something about there was just something about that work in that first manuscript read where you just knew that they were going to have a career. I, th I, I think that I can honestly say that I never know that. Yeah. I think what I can say, though, is that I know what sets me on fire. 
Ooh, there we go. Yeah. And so, and it's, and it's immediate and it's obvious and it's, and it shows up in the first few pages because, because there's a sense of language, uh, a freshness of language and a complexity of heart that is immediately apparent to me. I, and so that's, yeah. And, but, and some of those books that I might think are perhaps the strongest books that we've published. Some of them end up being launching pads for poets right. and some of them are not heard. And I, that just blows my mind. It yeah. blows my mind when I, when we put out a book that I'm like, well, this is gonna break poetry open. And right. then it's like Murph, you know, Jada Spande was a very early um, author for us. Lynn Melnick was a very early. Denez Smith was very early. Um, and, and I'm so thankful for the folks that gave Yes, Yes a try. And, uh, because, you know, because we hadn't really proven ourselves in any way. And, and I'm just, and I'm still thankful. I'm thankful for every poet who comes to us and, and offers their you know, their work to yes, yes, and allows us to help uh, get their work out into the public. And, um, you know, the one of my most, I love that you mentioned that, a, you know, a lot of our poets actually have gone on to do these amazing things. And what I love is that yes, yes, can serve as a stepping stone. You know, my, I, I want to be able to bring to open up windows, open up doors to folks who um, maybe have, maybe those doors haven't been opened, you know, and for whatever reason, I mean, it's tricky people, you know, I, I wish, well, I'm not even, I'm not going to say anything negative other than this, <laughs> other, other than this could please could people read more I, there are a lot of folks who read so beautifully and normally they're poets they, they the poets are reading all the poetry wow. um but you know i oh gosh could other people read more and really because they would be touched by the work they would I see think, themselves they I would think there's a a, a a newer generation of teachers over the last let's say decade who have gone a different direction with poetry than the classic classroom mm. approach. So mm. I think we are, I mean, I, I think we kind of see it in the, you know, especially during the pandemic, you had all the, you know, the 18 year olds to 25 year olds starting up brand new lit, like lit journals. Um, mm -hmm. So I think you're seeing at least that there's more exposure somewhere. They're getting it somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and hopefully, and hopefully that does spawn more readers. It is, it is true. It's, I mean, it's, I think there was, it's been a nice little revolution and boy, the next few years of poetry books coming out are just, it's amazing. Mind, it, it's mind blowing. The, the, the 2023 to 25 uh, poetry catalogs are just, it's just some yeah. of the best, the best of the best. And I, I, it's been a long time since we've seen a, a run like this. No, it is, it is incredible. And it, it actually, that is connected to something I feel very strongly about regarding poetry, which is that we have to have more poetry presses. We have to have more poetry presses because, you know, when I think of fiction of any kind, what literary 
genre, but also that's a false distinction, but we also know what that means when we use those words. And, um, and so, you know, how much of the fiction that gets put out into the world is absolute trash. And I don't really mean that negatively. I love to read trash. Okay. So, you know, and so a lot though, a lot of it is how much of the poetry that's getting published right now is trash, like almost zero. I mean, there, there's poetry that I'm more engaged by. There's poetry that I'm more interested in, but I can still see the mastery. I can still appreciate the project across the board when I think of the folks who are devoted to publishing poetry. And what that means is we don't have enough publishers. We've got to have enough publishers. So somebody's publishing a little bit of trash because that means we run <laughs> out of <laughs> the stuff is not it's a it's a solid point it's a really solid point <laughs> so well with with that said and as we kind of reach the end here uh mm. for you who are you really excited about reading right now uh who are the who are the poets that are kind of crossing your you know your desk or your screen that you're really excited about or uh and who is yes yes publishing in the coming months uh, well, because I was going to say the because um, to see who I'm excited about, you just need to look at who we're publishing. I am excited <laughs> about all of these folks, and um, the uh, and and your who you're interviewing has is just fantastic. I mean, a number of the folks in the last few months are people I'm whose work I'm paying very close attention to. Um, you know, Luther Hughes, Kemi Alibi. Um, Courtney, who was just on recently yep. as well. Yeah, Shelly uh, uh, coming up next week. In, in oh, real time fantastic. Next week. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So, so I love that. Um, of, of folks who have, are not uh, currently being published by, by Yes, Yes, uh, like one book I, I hope people read if they haven't read it already is Justin Philip Reed's second volume, second book, The Malevolent Volume. Ooh. That is one of the finest books of poetry I have ever read. Justin Ooh. Philip Reed okay. and, and uh, The Malevolent Volume. And right. so it won the National Book Award. So people, some people saw it, <laughs> but, but Justin's a very quiet person and, and you know, it's not kind of working the churn right. and more power to him. Um, but to, you know, that's a book we've got to be looking Looking at because Justin really pushes pushes us the readers uh, to beautiful, brilliant, brilliant places. Um, and then, then books that are coming up. I was interested. I did go all right through your catalog. <laughs> I, I was I was interested that you uh, interviewed Jane Michelle a number of months ago. Mm-hmm. Now her first full length is coming out this spring. She is spectacular. You know, and- she is she is one of the reasons that Courtney, that my wife and co-editor, really. Uh, I mean, she's always been in love with poetry, but um, some of of Jay's poetry uh, on anxiety. Well, I mean, on anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, is really you know has kind of helped our household over the last few years and a lot of a lot of students that have kind of come across uh, Courtney or my classrooms over the years Um, and now she lives in Portland as well so uh, you get a 
I know. Oh, it's spectacular I, new uh, new. I just fun. saw her the other. Yeah, it's I just amazing. saw her the other day. No, fantastic. And um, so yeah, she read at the new uh, reading series that I've started ah. uh, called Wild Rose Poetry and Story. And so she was reader at the last, as was Courtney, as was Shelley. Oh, it was it was a crew, unbelievable. Um, so uh, the other book I'm really looking forward to is Stevie Edwards' new book. Uh, Stevie is a brilliant poet. I'm so excited for, for that new book to come out. Um, and then in terms of what Yes Yes is doing, we just released Alicia Pir Mohammed's book. That's uh, her debut called Another Way to Split Water. And that is beautiful lyric poetry. That's one of the uh, manuscripts. So when Stevie and I were, were reading through the, the submissions, it just jumped itself out of the pile. Just, nice. oh my gosh. Um, and then in the, at the, you know, turn of the year, um, we've got uh, Julia Kolchinsky-Dasbach's next book called 40 Weeks, and it is wonderful. Alison Blevins' next book called Cataloging Pain, um, which follows her, it is mem memoir in verse to a great extent, and it follows her struggles as or experience as a mother with MS, mother of young children. And so her body, as she says in the poetry, is becoming a cage. Her partner is going through transition, and his body is becoming free oh. at that same time, and she writes about this, it wow. is breathtaking. And Jamaica Baldwin's Bone Language is also coming from us. And we've got, I mean, we got a bunch of wonderful yeah. things. And and um, and Nina Packabush and, uh, is doing, uh, we're releasing in December, Three Queerdos and a Baby, which is her <laughs> follow-up to a, a YA novel called Girls Like Me. And um, so Nina is a self-identified queer teen mama in terms of her experience and and this is a YA series about a uh, a queer girl who is a teen who gets pregnant as a teenager um and 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 the experience in the mental health system in in uh, the hospital system in her family and uh to to our knowledge it's the only uh, main character of a novel that is both queer, teen, and pregnant. It. And it turns out a very substantial portion of teen pregnancies are to queer teens. And so it is just a beautiful book. And so we're releasing the second in that series in, in December. So we're excited. We got a lot of stuff going on. You do indeed. Thank you so much for hanging out today on TPQ20. Um, I really look forward to uh, hanging out at some of your at some of your well your your new poetry series. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. Please do and then uh, hopefully I get to see you at AWP as well. That'd be great. So, That'd awesome. be great. Thank Will you so you... much for today. Thank you. Have a great rest of the night. You too. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.